Hello and welcome to the Practical Leadership Podcast, where I interview great leaders and try to extract their wisdom and experience for you to learn from and hopefully avoid making their mistakes. Check out practical-leadership.academy because you want to help your new managers succeed with hybrid or remote working. Tajan Braithwaite-Vanderos, thank you very much indeed for joining me. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. You're an author. You're a leadership pioneer. What am I missing? Would you be so kind as to introduce yourself? Sure. I am a leadership development coach. I'm an ICF credentialed coach. I'm also a trainer. Um, So I'm doing everything from one-on-one coaching sessions to actual training and consulting with organizations. And what was your journey to becoming a coach? Why did you decide that this was you had to give? Yeah, I would say the idea of becoming a coach was almost a first calling for me. So as a child, just kind of following the warm trail of my interests, I landed on coaching. So I don't think coaching would have been somewhat something that anybody could have advised me to do because it wasn't such an established profession like lawyer. It's not a real job. It's not a real job. You know, it's, you know, what you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a firefighter or a nurse or a professor or a police officer coach. Right. So there certainly wasn't anybody who could have advised me in that direction. That said, though, I definitely had parents who were big on follow your interests. And so in in, I realized I might have been coaching informally and self-educating informally in the space of coaching without knowing it. And then once I saw an opportunity for formalized training, I was like, oh, you can be credentialed to do this. Okay. And then I chose to pursue that. Um and moved in the journey of becoming more of a of a general generalist life coach to a more specialized leadership and executive coach. Mm-hmm. And did you start off as this of the, the the life coach thing and then focus in, or what do what what happened? Started as a general life coach and then really realized quickly that I was best at helping people with leadership development specifically. Um, in part because in addition to me being a leadership development coach. I also have a career as a public health consultant. And so I was actually a people manager myself and observing great and poor leadership myself. And so also self-educating in that space. And so naturally made sense for me to kind of specialize and hone in on leadership development. That was, I create my content based on what I'm seeing and experiencing. And I tend to study based on what I'm experiencing. And so that kind of naturally led me there. I think there's you have the two the two sides to the whole coaching piece, which is coaching and mentoring. So you've got the coaching, which is the reflective questioning, which yeah. is quite frankly, it's straightforward. But when you combine it with the value add of the experiential and the learned, it's where you take the this is what's inside you I'm revealing. And then the mentoring part where you're helping people fill in the blanks. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the interesting part. So let's, let's look at how you fill in the blanks for people. What, what was your journey to becoming a people manager first? Um, my journey to becoming a, moving from individual contributor to people manager looked like I worked in a public health consulting company for years. And so everything was very project-based. And the way to become a people manager was to essentially be bequeathed that opportunity from somebody who was more senior. And so that is essentially what happened. So you kind of 
come through the ranks by managing a small project and then a medium-sized project and then a large project. And so it starts with kind of one direct report and then five and then more and more. And so that was my introduction to people management. It's a good way to do it. I mean, typically people get promoted either through chance, good or bad. This organization was flat in that regard. Mm. So on one project, you could be a director. On another project, you're an individual contributor. That's fascinating. It's an interesting, that's an interesting way of actually entering into the whole realm of looking after other people, having people in your care. Mm. Yeah. Lots of people think that, well, it's the, ne- the next thing up the tree for me must be managing people. And unless you really, unless you really desire that, you desire success for other people, it's not typically a good choice because you might be a really good coder, or a marketeer, or a finance person, but you might suck at managing people. And how do you find out? So having the opportunity to try it out once, twice, that's, that's a nice way of testing it. What, what advice were you given when you first took this on? What, would, what advice would you give somebody who's taking on people management for the first time? This is exactly the space that I work in. <laughs> So mm-hmm. most of my programming focuses on helping first-time managers who are secretly struggling crush it. What's the biggest thing then that you experience that they have? What's the number one piece of advice that you give them? The number one thing that most folks who are first-time managers will struggle with is imposter syndrome. So imposter feelings with that big of a transition is very common. That tends to be the fault line where it shows up. And so one, having people understand that that's very normal. And it's normal for imposter feelings to show up at big transitions. And then two, helping them to use mechanisms to challenge that automatic negative thinking that's happening so that they're not moving from a place where there is a healthy level of self-doubt to crippling imposter syndrome that's causing moderate distress or even greater. So it's important to intervene on that before it spirals because when you when you when you layer imposter feelings on top of true incompetence right because you don't know you're you're doing people management for the first time you will make mistakes so when you layer those things and there's no help there's no support there's no um program for you and you're just out there floundering healthy self-doubt quickly can turn into shattered confidence and I've seen very senior managers from just one single experience as a first-time manager that went bad still struggling with major confidence issues that's creating all kinds of havoc in their ability to manage well, even though they're very senior. I'm, I'm glad you're saying that. This is, this is, you're echoing my experience quite, quite dramatically here. Mm-hmm. When I talk to people, it's, it's, I think um, if, I, if I was to list the first thing that I, I experience or people ask me about, um, or the, no, 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 that's not true. It's not necessarily that they ask me about, it's that I see in them. It's maybe they're still doing their old job. And I think that's possibly as a result of what you're seeing is the imposter syndrome. They're still doing their old job. They're not doing the new job. They're still doing the job that they were good at because it's comfortable, yes. because they don't feel credible in their new job. They're feeling imposterized. Hmm, interesting. All right, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna get, we're gonna get off, off track here. Imposter syndrome, how do you fix it? So what's the how-to? What are these mechanisms that you can use to challenge the self-doubt? One would be journaling and getting clear on what the sources of imposter what the sources of imposter feelings for you. Because there was a moment in which it was birth. And so being able to journal and explore that through self-inquiry is one thing that's important. And then identifying your triggers. 
Because for most first-time managers, they're not feeling that those imposter feelings in every single conversation. But is it when you have to present in front of many people? Is it when you have to give a report to senior staff? When does it tend to show up for you? So being aware of the triggers can help you create a plan for those triggers. Because what you don't want to do is walk into the landmine of a situation where you know you'll be triggered and you don't have coping mechanisms to help you. So you can actually prepare yourself for those conversations by coming in, not armored up, but equipped to face what will likely happen for you. Um, So cognitive challenging is, is one way to really get at combating imposter thoughts and imposter feelings. So being able to challenge that automatic negative thinking, diffuse from it, challenge it, examine how true it is, examine the evidence of it, have a more balanced thought, see how that makes you feel, proceed mindfully from there without dragging the past or catastrophizing about the future and ensuring that you speak to yourself with some compassion. So I like to tell folks, what would Mr. Rogers say to you? Or for, you know, Gen Zers, like what would Tabitha Brown say to you right now? Just somebody who's who represents such kindness and compassion because for folks who really struggle with imposter feelings or perfectionistic tendencies, they may have a super vicious, harsh inner critic. And so they may not find words to soothe themselves because these negative imposter thoughts are vicious and they're not innocuous, right? So they do, it's like little daggers at you. And so you do need to kind of self-soothe after that. Mm. And so if you can't find your own words, use, use someone who represents kindness and compassion for you and use their words. And you can do that in a meeting in real time, silently in your mind. And or if you can't, you can process through journaling um, at the end of the day, whatever works. But that's one thing among many other things that are important to really address that, that I that I teach in my programming. That's, that's an interesting approach. I say it's almost the what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? What would you, or pick, pick pick your faith, you know? Um, oh. What would somebody uh, deeply compassionate say to you right now? Yes. Um, and hopefully somebody deeply compassionate and partly would say, stop that nonsense. Everybody does this. Yeah. It's completely not. Nobody knows what they're doing. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, Elon Musk and Steve Jobs and pick the names of the, the Margaret Thatcher and Gandhi <laughs> himself was sitting there going, do I partition India? Do I not partition India? Mm, okay, then. You know, I mean, really? Yeah, absolutely. Everybody makes this stuff. And you're right, it can be quite crippling, the crippling self-doubt, the crippling... And I liked your word there, catastrophizing. Yes. Catastrophizing. So yes. try and paint the positive picture. Give yourself a break, self-compassion. And there's some lovely things called compassion-focused therapy, actually. It's a lovely a whole series of uh, therapeutic interventions you can look at. CFT, compassion-focused therapy. It's fabulous stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but what would somebody compassionate do? Go on, give us one more. One more of the crown jewels. I would say that in addition to working on that, your mindset, right? Because the imposter phenomenon is showing up in your mind and your emotions. So in addition to kind of constant work there, because that's ongoing work, getting really skilled at learning how to have tough conversations with ease is something else that's very important because that is a new skill, perhaps, that you will have to exercise if you're giving constructive feedback to folks on your team, which you should be, and not just in performance review season all the time. And so getting really skilled at taking a coaching approach to those conversations is important. Mm-hmm. So good. I like that. So imposter syndrome, 
very normal feeling. There are mechanisms you, you can use to challenge the self-doubt. Journal. Be clear of the source. Identify the triggers because it's not happening all the time. What is causing it to happen? Avoid catastrophizing. Think it through. What would somebody compassionate say to you? What would your favorite granny or auntie say to you at that point in time? And then build some skills. Build some specific skills around, for example, getting good at tough conversations. That's a nice, that's a nice takeaway there, Sajan. I like that. It's a nice bundle. What is it you're working on at the moment? I am about to launch an ebook actually for first-time managers, specifically walking them through my framework to help you move from feeling struggling to really achieving some mastery there. And so it goes through the gamut of optimizing your leadership mindset, controlling imposter feelings, controlling perfectionistic tendencies that lead to overwhelm, mastering how to have tough conversations and navigate conflict, how to have how to take a coaching approach to conversations with your direct reports. And then it moves into delegation so that you're not the one always serving as the individual contributor or the worker bee, taking everything to the finish line, but really delegating effectively such that you're building the capacity of your direct reports and that you're not feeling stressed and overwhelmed because you're trying to be a people manager and also doing your old job, right? And then addressing systemic factors that might be making it really hard for people managers to do their best work. So the book moves through that framework and gives first-time managers actionable strategies and homework at every step of the way so you can be walking that walking through that yourself and improving as you go. So that is something that I'm currently working on. Um, I also offer a learning collaborative, which is a course um, that first-time managers can join um, that's available to get on the wait list for that through my website. But basically, one is moving through a group coaching format where you're going through that same framework, optimizing leadership mindset, addressing impulsive feelings, perfectionistic tendencies, tough conversations and conflict, delegating effectively, addressing systemic factors, moving through that with a group of first-time managers who are also where you are. And it's coupled with one-on-one coaching. So there's one-on-one coaching in the mix as well. So you're getting the group experience, but you're also getting that one-on-one attention that you need. Very nice. It's a nice combination. Mm-hmm. Mm. And in order for you to stay at the the, the peak pioneering edge of uh, your leadership practices, what is it you're reading? What do you listen to? What's uh, how do you how do you fuel your your soul full of ideas? Love that question. There are some podcasts that I tend to follow often. So I do follow Dare to Lead. I do I do I do follow Brene Brown's leadership development podcast because I think it's incredibly helpful. But in addition to that, I am a voracious reader. So I will read books from cover to cover, but I also want to grab as much content as I can as well. So I I sign up for short form and I go through their 30 minute summaries. So I sign up for lots of I sign up for these platforms where you can mm. consume it's not cliff notes. It's also more than cliff notes, but but you can kind of consume the content of a book um, in a half an hour read. So I, so I I take in lots of summaries as well through short form. I mean, mostly I think. I mean, I'm surrounded by books. Uh, <laughs> I think if something has been in print for fifty years or more, there's a reason. Yeah. Most of the books that you see in the airport or the train station or wherever, they could have been a blog post, and some of them. It could have been a couple of tweets, really. Yeah. So yeah. yes, the the short form type, uh, the the Blinkist or uh, Readly, whatever it is, these sorts of format things. Yeah, 
where somebody's gone through the hard work of saying, yeah, that was rubbish, that was rubbish. Here's <laughs> one good point. What do you think? Uh, here's one good point. There was somebody who once told me that, because uh, I, I, I'm surrounded by my book, that somebody said that don't feel guilty about having to finish it. When you get to the point where you've got enough out of it, put it down. I quite like that idea. You know, because I always say, oh, yeah, I've got to finish it. The author's put a lot of work into it. You want to read through. Oh, interesting. Tajan, what would you like to thank your younger self for having done? I would like to thank my younger self for having a lot of self-confidence and having the courage to follow my own bliss and follow my own interests, which was extremely helpful being in a working world where folks are telling you that categorically you're 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 unqualified and so because i was raised with such steely self-confidence and grew up in a society that where people who look like me weren't quite categorically disqualified i grew up in a society where everybody looked like me and so coming to the united states where that's not the case and um where there's still lots of that where where there's fraught implicit bias as it relates to that having that steely self-confidence made it such that when that did happen and it would and it does i didn't it didn't cripple me at all nor did it make me bitter nor was i resentful it actually spurred me into action and spurred me into organizational grassroots organic organizational development and change versus leaving me embittered and resentful and scarred but that was just because my confidence was so steely that when people were like, oh, you're not, oh, you're not qualified to be a people manager. I was like, you must be mistaken. Like for me, that was like saying the sky is purple. Like it didn't even, it didn't even really register. Like it didn't even offend me. I went, I went immediately to like, oh, there's an issue here. Let's, let's fix it. But that was just because of how I was raised and the context that I was raised in. So I would thank my younger self. <laughs> steely self-confidence. I love that. Uh-huh. Finding your own bliss, following your bliss. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have landed here otherwise, without a doubt. No. I would have been a doctor. <laughs> then lastly, Tajan, how can people find you? People can find me. I'm very active on LinkedIn. I create a lot of content there. Um, I can be, my handle there is at Tajan Renderis Coaching. And my website, that's where you can find out more information about the course that I'm launching. Um, get on the wait list for that at www.tajanrenderis.com. And those links will be in the description of this uh, episode here. Tajan Renderos, thank you so very much indeed for joining me. Thank you so much, Paul. It's been a great conversation. That's a wrap. Thank you for joining me today. Your homework is to leave your five-star review and please, any comments you have, you really help me to improve every day. And it also helps people to discover me online. You should check out practical-leadership.academy because you want to help your new managers succeed with hybrid or remote working. 